The series is entitled, The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached, and that's not referring to the sermon you're going to hear today. That is referring to the sermon Jesus preached in Matthew's chap- Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, known as the Sermon on the Mount. We finished the Beatitudes in the first 12 verses, and now we're in verses 13 through 16. Last week I spoke on, Ye are the salt of the earth. Today, the companion pronouncement of Christ, ye are the light of the world. Look at verse 13. We'll read through verse 16 once again. Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Please give your attention to verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Ye are, Jesus said, the light of the world. Just to get our minds in gear and get the perspective here, I will say it once again. If you want to see what a true Christian is, study the Beatitudes. Study the first 12 verses of Matthew 5. We've done that, gone over it with a pretty much a fine-tooth comb. They form a composite picture of the believer. So if you want to see what a true Christian is, go to the Beatitudes. If you want to see how the Christian life is to be manifested and lived out, study these verses, what Jesus said about salt and light. Jesus left us here. If you're saved, you're part of the church. He left the church here in this age to be both salt and light. Those are metaphors. They're direct comparisons. Salt and light. The average person who hears that expression thinks that that just means we're here to make the world a better place or we're here to add value to society. I hope you understand after last week it means far more than that. That is such a loose, shallow understanding. What about the nature of salt? Well, the influence of salt is pretty much hidden, isn't it? I mean, you can taste it, but you can't see it, the influence of it. But on the other hand, light is something that is very much noticed. Satellite pictures from space can spot a pretty insignificant light here on earth. And as citizens of, of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light, living In a fallen, corrupt, and dark world, Jesus said, we exert both an inward and an outward influence. We are, not just to be, we are salt, and we are light. There must be a balance of the inside with the outside. Only when we are right on the inside can we become a true blessing to people on the outside. 
in connection with salt, it's interesting. I didn't give this verse last week, but in Mark chapter 9, verse 50, Jesus said this, have salt in yourselves. Isn't that something? Get the graces of God on the inside. Get the fruits of the Spirit from Christ. Let them emanate from within. And then, he said, have peace among yourselves. You'll have the right kind of relationship with others. It has to come on the inside, folks. You look pretty good to me today. Well, you've dressed up. I appreciate that. I appreciate most of you combing your hair today. I really do. Some of you just want us to know you have hair, so you didn't comb it, but anyway. But you look good. But unless something is emanating from the inside, you don't have the discipline, you don't have the willpower to keep it up for long. If we could hear the real heart cry of the world around us, it would be, please pass the salt. My life is so tasteless, rotten, insipid. And I hope after the message today, you'll hear the world saying, please turn on the light. Could I say without apology before I go any further, that what I'm preaching today, not because I'm preaching it, but what I'm preaching it today, preaching today because it is the truth of God's Word, needs to be the biggest thing in our lives as Christians. It's not enough to just remember to include along with a whole catalog of other virtues, yeah, that we are the light. i got to remember that. I said this morning, I, I doubt any of us stopped to thank the Lord for light so that we could get dressed, eat our breakfast, see what we were doing. But light is a big deal. And Jesus said, you're the light. You know, the whole function and purpose of light is to give light. That's the whole purpose for light. That's the ultimate about light. Seek no further. There's no other purpose. In these parallel verses about light, Jesus makes both a statement of fact. He says, ye are the light of the world. And then he gives a command. He issues a command, because you are the light of the world, let your light so shine before men. So that will be the natural outline today. Nothing cute, nothing catchy. I'm just going to let the word speak for itself. Very natural outline a statement of fact, and then a command. Let's take it in that order. A statement of fact. Jesus said, ye are the light of the world. As I said about salt last week, it must be said about light today. It is inevitable. We are light. Jesus didn't say, you have the light. No, He said, you are the light. He didn't say, you ought to be the light. He said, you are the light. He wants us to be sure to get it. And so he repeats it, takes pains to illustrate it. First of all, he states it positively. Ye 
are the light of the world. Those of you who know your English grammar, you would call that a declarative statement. It's not a question, not a command. It's a declarative statement. It merits our attention and our reverent investigation. Let's analyze it even further. Ye are the light, first of all, collectively. Again, as he said with salt, ye, that's y'all. That's you plural. King James Bible makes that clear because of preserving the old English ye. First person plural pronoun. But notice that the word light is singular. Jesus did not say ye are the lights of the world. He said ye are the light of the world. On Christmas Eve, though we didn't do it this year because the Christmas falling on Sunday, we almost always have a Christmas Eve service. And we make it a candlelight service. It's a special time. We look forward to it. I usually have a barbecue lighter right up here, and I light one candle, and then we light candles going in both directions, one at a time, until we form a whole ring. Sometimes we have to come down the aisle here. We have so many people. We turn off all the artificial lights. It's a very beautiful sight to see that ring, one solid ring of light. It speaks powerfully about the power of light and spreading the light and sending the light. But Jesus is talking about the church. Ye collectively are the light of the world. Whether you realize it or not, whether you're acting upon it or not, we let our light shine before men. Let's accept this statement of fact. It's a statement of fact. Ye are the light collectively. Secondly, ye are the light reflectively. As we have often pointed out in several places in the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the light. Especially in John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And we read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. If that is the case, if before the sun and the stars, the light holders were created, there was light. If God is light, if God dwells in light, that means light has always existed. As I said already, God had to create darkness. And for us to be the light, we must be the light reflectors. We must be the lesser light, just like the sun reflects the light. But the moon reflects the light of the sun when it goes down over the horizon. So we reflect the light, Jesus Christ, who said, I am the light of the world. And I think when he spoke those words, I think he had in mind the fact that he knew he would leave the world shortly, and he would leave us here to reflect his light, to be the light. Because he said a chapter later from John chapter 8, he said in John chapter 9, verse 5, he said, I, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, implying that there would be a time when he would no longer be in the world. That happened at his ascension. And since his his ascension, fellows and gals, we're the light. We're the light. Now, to reflect the light, we must first receive it. And this calls attention to the illumination of the Holy Spirit. 
I want to talk about that for a moment. Would you take your Bibles, keep your finger in Matthew chapter 5, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. This is one of Brother Don Woodard's favorite verses. He had them in a little stack of cards that I went through that he was reviewing and keeping memorized. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Notice what the Bible says. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Who's us? Those of us who are saved. Those of us who have received the Holy Spirit. If any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. He doesn't belong to Christ. And this is the reason that brilliant people, otherwise brilliant people, are blind as bats spiritually if they aren't born again by the Spirit of God. That's why they say such stupid things, as I've heard said to me so many times. If I got a dollar for every time I heard this, I'd be probably a wealthy man. I've heard people say, I don't see how a loving God could send anybody to hell. You know why they say that? They don't get it. They have never been illuminated by the Spirit of God. They are totally devoid of the Holy Spirit. They're totally in the dark. Please note that though this light is a borrowed light, the light we have, a reflected light, it is a light, this is important to understand, it is a light that is gradually assimilated and becomes the light proper of individual believers as well. That's why in verse 16, after he said in verse 13 or verse 14, ye are the light, in verse 16 he says, let your light so shine. He wasn't talking about an inferior light, a fleshly or a false light. He's talking about the same light. The reflected light becomes our light. There's an individual appropriation of the light and it becomes our own. And so I ask you this morning, and I'm not trying to be cute or have an impact. I'm just asking honestly, have you been lit yet? Because you either have or you haven't. There's no in-between. The church is a collective light in the world. The church is a reflective light in the world. Thirdly, the church is an exclusive light, and I really want to park here for a while. The same Greek construction used in talking about salt, Jesus used about, uses with light here. When he says, ye are the light of the world, it means in the Greek, ye and ye alone are the light of the world. Did you get that? As far as God is concerned, there is no other light in this dark world but us. Oh, the world talks about its periods of enlightenment, the Renaissance, so forth, but that's all relative. Please understand that the people of this world are still in a dark pit. Man is in a dark pit from which he cannot extricate himself. He turns on his artificial flashlight, as it were, and he sees some bugs crawling around on the walls of that pit, and he marks it down as progress, but he's still in the hole. You say, Pastor, you're getting worked up. We need to see it that way. 
Worldly men may have knowledge, but only the believer has true wisdom. And that's why despite all kinds of amazing advances in technology and in medicine and in space travel and other things, there's a greater breakdown than ever in personal relationships in our day. And the moral and social ills have only gotten worse in the 21st century. The United Nations hasn't solved anything. We have more wars and world conflicts today than ever before. And so I bring it down to where we live. If you're saved and a part of the church, the church, are you willing to step up and fulfill this role of being the only light the world has? I mean it. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 verse 13, you don't have to turn there, just listen up, read the latter part of the verse, whatsoever doth make manifest or visible, that's what it means, whatsoever makes visible is light. It is the very nature of light to expose the darkness. And spiritually that means the darkness of sin and ignorance and error and faulty thinking. Remember what Jesus said through his inspired apostle John way back in the third chapter of John where Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. If you'll turn there, John chapter 3, look at verse 19. We all know verse 16, I trust, wonderful, wonderful verse of evangelical truth. But look at verse 19. It's in the same context. We read, and, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because, because darkness is so much more beneficial. You know, you sleep better when it's dark. Is that what it says? No, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's why men hate the light and refuse to come to it, whether it's the primary light of Christ Himself or whether it's the reflected light that we as Christians bring. This is the condemnation and nothing else. Are we okay with that? Or do we crave the same love from sinners that they have for their sin? I ask you this morning, what is the sole cause of the troubles of the world right now? It boils down to this. Man is separated from God and hates the light of holiness and truth. That is it, folks. Don't put a spin on it. All the troubles of the world right now can be traced to the fall of man in the garden of Eden. In spite of all the so-called explosions of knowledge, the information superhighway we have, the internet, artificial intelligence, all the so-called enlightenments, fallen man still loves darkness rather than light, and the result is he still clings to and loves evil. And so we as believers, and I'm not trying to get us off the hook here, please don't misunderstand what I'm going to say. We as believers, we can be just as loving and caring as, as, as we possibly be and ought to be, 
We can be do-gooders. We can seek to relieve the suffering around us, and I hope we do. We can be the self-sacrificing good Samaritans that God wants us to be. But let me just tell you, we can do all of that, and still our very presence in this world of darkness that crucified our Savior will be an exposure and a condemnation of evil around us. Could I express it another way? There is no one to warn the modern world but the Christian. We're all there is. Education is not going to show a modern man the pitfalls that will ruin him. Education only makes man a more cunning devil. Praise God for medical advancements. But medical cures and improved health and nutrition are only fattening up man for the ultimate slaughter. Man himself is the problem. There is no light in him at all. And that's why he does not want to come to the light of God's Word. And so we read in Isaiah 8, verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. If, if there's no desire to do that, it's because there's no light in them. Isaiah 8, 20. No light. It doesn't say a sliver of light. No, it says no light. Please understand me carefully. The need of man is not to have more light. He needs the darkness dispelled. And we're the only ones to do it. Because whatsoever doth make manifest or visible is light. And we are the light of the world. We're all the light of the world. We alone are the ones to show the way out of darkness. God has limited Himself to man to win man. So Philip catches up with that Ethiopian eunuch after a cross-country run through the desert. He sees him reading the prophecy of Isaiah that he'd purchased, no doubt, at great expense back in Jerusalem at the feast, a vellum scroll. They didn't have paper. They didn't have books back then. And what is his question? Do you understand what you're reading? And what's the answer? How can I except some man should guide me? I must have the light, and you're the light. Do we see ourselves the way God sees us? Are we willing to accept that job description? And then he states it negatively. He shows the ridiculousness, the contradiction of the alternative. As we go back to, uh, to Matthew 5 and look at verses the latter part of verse 14 and verse 15, after saying in verse 14, ye are the light of the world, he says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, on a lampstand, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. A city that is set on a hill. Probably what Jesus had in mind were the cities of refuge. There were six of them scattered throughout Israel. They were always on a high elevation so they could be easily spotted. And a person who had killed another innocently, accidentally, he could get to that city. If he got to that city before the avenger of blood closed in on him, he was safe. 
Why would a man light a lampstand and then put it under a bushel basket? It's absurd. Why would you build a city of refuge and put it in a valley? It's absurd. To ask the question is to answer it. I've often heard people use this verse about putting a candle under a bushel. More often than not, I hear them use it to describe natural talents. If someone has a good singing voice or can play an instrument well, and they never use that gift for the Lord, I've heard people say, and it's, it's okay to say that. They say, you know, you're hiding your candle under a bushel. Although that's not necessarily wrong to apply it that way, I hope you understand it goes far deeper than that. The main idea here that Jesus is trying to get across is what tends to obscure your being the light of the world? What obscures it? What keeps you from fulfilling the purpose that Jesus has left you here? Could I be real practical? Could it be that you're timid and bashful? Oh, you can talk about sports and politics and the weather and COVID. But somehow you just can't turn the conversation to the elephant in the room, and that is sin and salvation. Isn't it amazing we can talk about everything else under the sun? If that's your problem, I've got a solution. And that is, seek the boldness that comes by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ask for the compassion of Jesus, and that will cause your alarm over the fate of the ungodly to outrun your natural timidity. I don't think Jeff Payne is a natural timid person, but when he saw that apartment place on fire, he didn't say, oh, this is not my personality. I'm not going to knock on that lady's door. He knocked on it with all the intensity of his nature. If we see this world on fire, if we see doom to damned souls, we're going to warn them. What's the bushel in your life? Is it your inconsistency? If you were to start beaming the, the gospel light of Christ into your family or in your neighborhood, would you run the risk of someone coming to you and pointing their finger in your face and saying, have you experienced that same salvation from sin you're talking about? And if you say yes, could they say, well, why are you still engaging in this besetting sin? Why do you still have this enslaving habit? You know, the Bible says every man will proclaim his own goodness, but his neighbor comes and searches him out. Do you have a neighbor that you could not witness to because you know you've been a stumbling block to them? You've got your work cut out. Please don't overlook that little phrase, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. I like that. Shouldn't our homes be the first place where that light shines when we're lit by Jesus? I love what Jesus said to the demoniac of Gadara. If you go to Israel today and go on the, and see the Sea of Galilee, you'll come down on the east side and you'll see that's the Gentile side. 
You'll see where those hogs went down a steep place into the sea. You'll see where the demoniac of Gadara was met by Jesus. And when Jesus cleansed him and delivered him from the demon, he said, oh Lord, I want to I be with you. Can I just follow you? That sounded like a very noble desire, but Jesus rebuked him and said, no, go home. Go to your house and show how great things God has done for thee. Have you done that? Oh, I hear people say, Pastor, you don't understand. A man's family is the hardest to reach. They won't listen to me. But if a stranger will tell them, if, if a preacher, they respect a preacher, if, if a preacher will go, they'll listen. I don't mean to be unkind, but could I respectfully disagree with you? If your family sees the change wrought by the new birth in you by the gospel of Jesus Christ, if they see the reflected light in you of the one who is the light of the world, it'll get their attention and silence their objections a whole lot sooner than if somebody they think has a professional reason to come and spout religion comes to talk to them. I'm simply saying if we're truly saved, we, we cannot be hid. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. A lamp on a lampstand cannot be hid. The contrast between us and others around us is glaringly self-evident. It is ridiculous. It is contradictory to try to hide the light that we are. The whole purpose of light is to shed light. Why would we want to conceal the light that is in us? Well, there's a very important statement of fact here. Ye are the light of the world. But then Jesus follows it up with a command in verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may behold your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Notice that little word, so. Let your light so shine. I looked it up. In the Greek, it simply means in the same way as. Let your light shine in the same way as what? As a city on a hill. As a burning candle on a lampstand. And then there's that word that. Let your light so shine that. I looked that up. It means similarity of purpose. Just like a, a city shines on a hill and a, a lamp stands, a, light, a candle shines on a lampstand. That candle doesn't call attention to itself. If the power goes out at your house and the, it's after sundown, and you get a, a candle somewhere and you get it lit with a match or a barbecue lighter, I doubt anybody's going to say, oh, what a beautiful candle. That's not the first thing they're going to say. They're going to talk about what they can finally see. It doesn't call attention to itself in the same manner Jesus said, let your light shine, let your good works be seen, not to glorify yourself, but your Father which is in heaven. That means, among other things, and let's talk about this because we need some discernment here, our good works are to be put on display. It's a false modesty that says, please listen, it's a false modesty that says, I'm going to keep my religion private. I don't wear it on my shirt sleeve. That sounds pious, but it's wicked. There are politicians who think that they're being noble and altruistic when they say, 
Yes, I have deeply held personal religious beliefs, but I never let my religion clash with my politics. What a jerk. My response is, if you have core beliefs on the inside that don't affect the way you behave on the outside, what good are they? Don't give me that pious poppycock. Is it a virtue to say just the opposite of what Jesus said here? Is it a virtue to say, don't make your light shine before men? Now, if you're discerning, you might be asking the question, well, how is this different from the outward show of the Pharisees? Make no mistake about it. Jesus did condemn the Pharisees for their external righteousness, for making the outside of the cup and the platter clean, but leaving the inside full of the, King James says, extortion and excess. That means greed and self-indulgence. Jesus faulted the Pharisees for that. He condemned them for that. But now here he's saying, pay attention to your external good works. Let your light so shine. Show your good works. Is he contradicting himself? Oh, no. Please listen carefully. The big issue here is the nature of the good works to be displayed. They must be the kind of good works that call attention to Jesus and not ourselves. These are the works enumerated, I believe, in the Beatitudes that Jesus just talked about in the foregoing verses. Many of these virtues can only be seen in our response to others, such as blessed are the meek. Who are the meek? The meek are those who show restraint toward others, even when others are provoking to them. They, there's power under control there. There's meekness. Blessed are the merciful. Who are the merciful? The merciful are the ones who show grace and love and forgiveness and true justice for Christ's sake. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who plead with men to be reconciled to a wholly offended God who is at, they're at enmity with, though they don't realize it. Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, those who are willing to suffer for their faith and not retaliate, but return blessing for cursing. They return good for evil. They pray for those that despitefully use them. That's the kind of good works that show Jesus, and we're to show to men. Yes, they're outward. They are visible. But they emanate, are you listening, from the indwelling Christ who is the light. He is the light of the world. And as Peter said in 2 Peter 2 verse 9, we need to show forth the praises of Him, the excellencies of Him who hath called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Don't apologize for those good works. Don't assume a false modesty. Don't think you're being pious when you just keep your religion to yourself. Let your light shine. But make sure you're doing it for the sole purpose of glorifying the Father. Let me say it again, though I know I've said it before. I, I really I don't think I'm getting dementia early onset, but I know I've said this before. Thank you for paying me to study the Bible and prepare sermons. I've got the most enviable job of anybody in this room. 
And I learned something this week because I got to study. I learned that right here in Matthew 5, verse 16, is the very first mention in the New Testament of God as our Father. Did you know that? Right here. Show your good works. Let your light shine before men, that they may behold your good works, and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. The very first mention of God as our Father in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, God is nowhere depicted as our Father, nowhere addressed as our Father. He may be depicted, but He's not addressed as our Father. Jesus came to reveal the Father. No man ever called, dared to call God His Father in the Old Testament times. That was just too preposterous. But here it pops up for the first time. I love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said about this. The fatherhood of God is best seen in the holiness of His saints. He loves to see His own likeness in His children. You know who the most God-centered man in the universe is? God-centered person? It's God. And that's a good thing. Now, there are two things necessary to sustain this shining of, of our light before men. And then I'm done. First of all, as we look at this verse, verse 16, there's the continual supply of essential oil. Jesus is talking about a candle on a lampstand. He's talking about one that was supplied oil, usually olive oil. But I'm talking about the continual supply of essential oil. Some of you ladies are really into essential oils. I know that. I mean, it's a big business. You love those concentrated plant extracts. You use it for everything from losing weight and gaining hair to improving your sleep and enhancing your mood. It seems like ladies really go for the lavender. I mean, you, you have it wafting out of the nebulizer and filling the room. It does smell good. And you pay good money for that good smell. Essential oils. Can I tell you what the most essential oil of all is? Do you know what you must have to keep letting your light shine before men? The fresh oil of the Holy Spirit. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning, burning, burning. Listen, it consumes oil to keep shining before men. To keep being a do-gooder. Especially when you're good as evil spoken of, people don't appreciate you for what you're trying to do. That's why a lot of Christians give up. While lighting the candle is an act done in a moment, keeping it lit is a work that needs sustaining. And I challenge all of us today, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if the Holy Spirit resides in your heart, if you're indwelt by the Spirit of Christ Seek a fresh anointing of that Holy Spirit every time you do something for Christ to keep you burning and shining before man. Otherwise, let me tell you what's going to happen. It'll happen sooner or later. People will eventually repel you and you will burn out or burn up. To keep burning and shining, there must be the continual supply of the essential oil. 
Second thing is to keep burning and shining, there must be the continual trimming of the wick. We've gotten so used to electric lights that fewer and fewer of us even know what a lantern with a wick is. I won't ask you to raise your hand. But to keep a lantern burning brightly, oil is not enough. You've got to keep trimming back that wick that is soaked in oil. If you don't, you know what's going to happen? The glass around that lantern will smoke up. And it will fail to give light. And if you want to keep your light shining before men, the light of your good works, you're going to have to perpetually cut away that which is dead and useless and just produces smoke, not light. You know what that speaks of? Separation from sin and from the world. And we don't like to talk about that much these days. May I remind you of what the Bible says? The inspired apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he said, there's no communion between light and darkness. There's no fellowship between righteousness and unrighteousness. There's a fundamental incompatibility between the two. As I talk to you this morning, as I preach before you this morning, you are either light or you're dark. There are only two classes of people in the world. As one preacher said, there are the saints and there are the ain'ts. Which are you? The only true light is Jesus. He alone is light in Himself. Only in His light can we even see light, the Bible says in Psalm 36 verse 9. The whole world lieth in darkness and wickedness. We who are saved are the only light that God has left here. And if the light that is in us be darkness, how great is that darkness? Oh, can we hear souls around us saying from their hearts, Please, please turn on the light. Humanly speaking, that's this world's only hope. Do we see ourselves the way God sees us? I hope so. Let's pray. Oh God, speak to our hearts today that we may see you the way, that we may see others the way you see us. We are the only light to our family and our neighbors and our unsaved friends have and are going to see. Oh, how great is our accountability, how great is our responsibility. I may be speaking to some here today or watching by live stream or maybe as it's archived, watching at a later time. They really don't have the oil of the Holy Spirit on the inside. Oh, they conform outwardly. They're in church today. They stood at the right time. They bowed their head when we prayed. They moved their lips when we sang. But they have nothing on the inside. Help them to be born again by the Spirit of God. Help others of us, Lord, to trim our wicks to get rid of that deadness and uselessness and be separated from the world. How can we win the world if we offer them the same old slop? Please let your church shine brightly once again. Set it ablaze with true revival as you have done at so many crucial times in our history. For Jesus' sake and for His glory. 
to glorify our Father which is in heaven, we pray. Amen.